0: Hey, welcome back to PT Snacks Podcast. This is Casey, and I'm so glad that you're back. Uh, Welcome back. If you're new to the show, essentially what you need to know is that this podcast is meant for physical therapists and physical therapist students who are looking to basically further your foundations and your practice, but also just in bite-sized segments of time so that you've actually got time to do other things that you need to in your life. So, New news front. Um, I just started an Instagram page, so if you haven't checked it out yet, uh, come find me at PT Snacks Podcast. I'm going to be posting up a lot of infographics and charts from the shows, just as another way to put up some study notes. Um, I know that a lot of people are visual learners as well, so if that's something that helps you to just have quick little boom, okay, I'm I'm looking on my social media. I'm going to be productive at the same time. There you go. You can find me there. So that's brand new. But what are we studying today? We're going back to the vertebral column, but I wanted to just expand on it a little bit more to the lumbar vertebrae. So obviously... Guys, these podcasts are meant to be really short. We're going to be adding more and more and more, so I'm not going to be able to cover everything in every episode. Just stay tuned, and then we can keep going from there. But let's go back to it. So just if you need a review, go back to my episode about the vertebral column in episode 7. But the purpose of the spinal column is, one, protect the spinal cord, and then where the spinal nerves branch out. Two, support the thorax and the abdomen. And then three, enable flexibility and mobility of the body. So imagine like if our vertebral column was just one big bone, like the femur, how awkward would it be to try and bend down and pick something up? It would just, it'd be kind of clunky, right? So this, the way that we're designed is meant to allow us more flexibility and freedom of movement, but without too much flexibility, if that makes sense. So Specifically in the lumbar region, this mobility and flexibility allows us for uh, flexion, extension, side bending, but not as much rotation. So what makes up the vertebrae? Basically, we're looking at the vertebral body, the vertebral arch, and then there are seven processes that come from it. So going to the vertebral body, this is where most of our force is, is born, basically. As the spinal column goes down, the vertebrae are going to increase in size, which makes sense, right? Because you've got more and more weight to hold up as you go lower down. So they're going to need a little bit of reinforcement in the form of size. And then in the body, it's made up of trabecular bone with red marrow and then surrounded by external thin compact bone. The vertebral arch, basically that just forms a spinal canal with the spinal cord inside. So it's formed bilaterally of the pedicles and the lamina, and then you've got keyword that's going to come up later, the pars interarticularis, which is basically between the superior and inferior articular process bilaterally on each vertebral level. And then of the seven processes, you've got four articular processes, two superior, two inferior, and then where they meet is the facet or zygopofaceal joint. And then you've got two transverse processes and a spinous process, so that's it, the, the body, the arch, and then the processes. Some things to keep in mind for the lumbar that set it apart from the cervical and thoracic regions are, I already mentioned before that it's got a larger body, but they've also got short and thick spinous processes that project perpendicularly. The articular facets are more vertical, and then the superior facets are posterior medially and, and medially. Another key factor in the lumbar is the facets have more of a curved articular surface. And one side note, L5 has a um, basically a greater height anteriorly than posteriorly in comparison to the regions around it. So this helps to create that lumbosacral angle between the lumbar and the sacrum. Okay, so that's just a brief overview of the anatomy of the vertebrae, specifically in the lumbar. But... Let's cover just real quick some examples of pathologies that can go wrong with this. So, mainly when we're talking about types of fractures, one in particular is the pars defect, and you'll hear more about this in term like in regards to adolescent athletes. So, you can have a spondylolysis, which is a defect at the pars, most common at L five, and. That's when it's non-displaced, but if it becomes displaced, that becomes more of a spondylolisesis, which is basically where there's a translation of the vertebral body forward over the vertebrae underneath it, which is obviously not a good thing, right? So if it has enough slippage, that can cause neurological injury. We already covered about what the spinal canal is made of. So if you can just imagine, like if you've got a stack of rings and you're looking above through it, you can see, okay, there's a nice little hole there, like a canal that runs through. But if I take some of those rings on top and slide them forward, that space becomes narrower, right? And pretty sure nerves don't really like having compressed spaces. So that can obviously cause some issues that are things to consider for patients who have a higher grade slippage um, in terms of whether they're treated conservatively or not. So, How do they get them in the first place? Um, You know, usually these patients are going to have a history of activity-related low back pain, and they can be traumatic, but you'll often hear about it in research regarding like chronic repetitive loading and hyperextension, like our cheerleaders or um, wrestlers can get this too, anything that puts them in repeated hyperextension. So these patients are going to have painful spinal mobility, and then they can also complain of a lot of hamstring tightness. Now, another key thing to think about regarding vertebral fractures, not necessarily um, like PARS defect, but some red flags to be aware of for undiagnosed vertebral fractures are like prolonged use of corticosteroids, mild trauma in patients that are over the age of 50, or if they're just over the age of 70, um, if they have a known history of osteoporosis, Uh, Or any recent major trauma of of any age, like if they've been in a motor vehicle accident or a fall greater than five feet, and then also bruising over the spine following trauma. These are in the um, current concepts for vertebral fractures as red flags, but just be careful on assuming that they're going to have a vertebral fracture with one in isolation. Most people are going to have that and not truly have a fracture But that's it for today. Um, So, just that's just a brief overview of the lumbar vertebral anatomy and then a couple of fracture examples that are in it. Uh, Let me know if you have any questions, want me to clear anything up. You can reach out at ptsnackspodcast at gmail.com or just find me on Instagram. Again, that handle is ptsnackspodcast. I would love to hear from you guys, see if if, uh, there's anything I can do to help or just things in particular that you want to learn about. I am all ears. This is supposed to be helpful for you. It's not just a sounding board for me to hear my own voice. Thank you for joining me. And then I will see you guys next time.